Hello Life Changers, thank you so much for joining us. We have got an amazing word for you, so why don't you lean in, grab a notebook and pen, and get ready for what God has to say to you today. My name is Michael, and I am one of the pastors here in the life of the church, and it really is a privilege to preach this evening, Life Changes Church. It is a privilege to be part of the best congregation in Life Changes, the PM congregation. There we go. And uh, we gathered as a leadership this past week, and every week we prayed together as a leadership. But we were, uh, while there, we were just sharing stories of what God has done in the life of the church, how faithful God has been over these past 23 years, that stories of faithfulness, stories of people who have really come from death to life, uh, where addiction has been broken, where people have found spouses, where actually divorces have been repaired in this community. And we just started to tell story after story after story of the power of the local church. And that is what I want to speak about this evening. But I want to ask you this one, one question. What is your purpose here? What is your purpose in this place? Why do you come through these doors? Why do you come to church? And the church nowadays is not something that's popular. It's, it's not in the majority. It's actually in the minority. The church isn't something that's in every fiber of, uh, in the DNA of our society. And it's not something where actually people think that it's the popular decision to be. See, the church is facing a lot of persecution, it's facing a lot of opposition, but I want to say that through the church, through the local church, we will see the manifold wisdom of God. We will see dead people come to life, we will see people set free, and through the power of the local church, I believe that it will shape and transform this world, and we have a part to play in it. And so how does Jesus see the church? We not only need to know how we see church, but how does Jesus view the church? See, church is a family. See, we are fellow citizens with God's people. Church is also an army of believers that are called to plunder how and populate heaven. Church is a hospital where broken people come through these doors, but they find healing, they find restoration, they find redemption. Just like me, when I came through these doors, I desperately needed Jesus. I suffered from depression for 14 years, but in this place, through Jesus Christ, I found healing. See, church is also a body. We are a body, and Jesus is the head, and we are all connected. But I want to present this one picture tonight, that church is the bride of Christ. And it's this beautiful picture that actually Jesus is the bridegroom, and us as the church are Jesus' bride, and he is coming back for his bride one day. And I, the title of my sermon this evening is, There's Power in the Bride. You can write that down, but I hope you believe it, that there is power in the bride. Now, when I first pursued Crystal, you got to think that it went smoothly. It went swimmingly. If you look at me, you just know that she would have said yes in an instant. But uh, what, one evening, I actually preached a sermon in the evening, and uh, I had this whole plan of how I would woo her, how I would tell her my feelings, how I would tell her that I liked her. And so I decided that after the sermon, I would go to her house for tea, just under the disguise. Maybe if this went really badly, she could comfort me, she could console me, but I would tell her and woo her and charm her, and she would be my girlfriend then. But essentially, when I got there, I was making tea, things were going all to plan, when I suddenly hear a knock on the door. And I'm like, there's Crystal, there's me, there should be no one else in this scenario. <laughs> but lo and behold, a, another colleague of mine opens the door and says hi, and Crystal had invited her because she thought something was up. 
And so this colleague just walks straight past me, looks me dead in the eye, goes like this, and then goes, sit down, and I am terrified. I don't know what to do. I was silent the entire evening. They kept on asking me, are you all right? Like, yeah, just God's doing something. God's doing something. I preached an amazing sermon, but I didn't know what to say until she gave me a lift home, and she would not let me get out of that car. She locked the door as we got to my house, and she said, you need to tell me what's going on. And with a croak in my voice, I said, I have feelings for you. And she looked me dead in the eye, and I just heard the sound of violence. There was an orchestra in the background, and she said, I don't feel the same way. <laughs> I know, just a classic love story, really. <laughs> there you go. But now she's my wife, come on, so I really win in the end. But I didn't give up. I didn't let that deter me. I kept on pursuing her, and eventually, actually, she said yes. She relented under the pressure, and she said yes to me and my advances. But eventually, we got married, and I, I want to put a picture up of my wedding day. Uh, no, not that one. Okay, so that's a T-Rex at my wedding day. That wasn't supposed to be there, but we got attacked. No, no the next one. There we go. Now, on my wedding day, there were tears. There was snort and throne, and that was just from Mark. And... Um, then there were a lot of tears from me as well. But I realized that on my wedding day, I could not do anything else but stare at my bride. I don't remember what was preached. I don't remember the worship. Um, it was a great preach. I heard all about it. <laughs> I don't remember what was preached. I don't remember the worship. I don't remember the, the decor in the church. All I remember is my bride coming down the aisle. And while all that was going on, I just remember that I could not take my eyes off of her. In that moment, everything stopped. Everything ceased. All the troubles uh, leading up to that moment, all the stress leading up to that moment, all the operations of the day went away. And all I could do was fix my eyes on my bride. And I believe that that is the picture of Jesus Christ and his church that when he looks at the church, he looks at her with no blemishes, spot-free. He doesn't see all the things that go wrong. He doesn't see all the stresses, all the pressures, all of our sin, all of our brokenness. He sees his beautiful bride. And I want to tell you that Jesus' eyes are fixed on you tonight, that if you are seated here, you are part of the bride of Christ. And he is calling us to be part of his bride, and he is calling us to serve his bride. But I believe that the the bride of Christ is going to be the thing that changes this world. See, when the bride of Christ knows who she is and lives as she should live and shows the magnificence of the bridegroom who is Jesus, I truly believe that it will change this world. I believe that we are world changers in this room. I believe that there are people in this room who, if they knew how good their uh, king in heaven was, Jesus, how much he desired them, that your life would be changed in an instant, so man. But see, very easily, we can lose sight of the spectacular thing. Fast forward three years, and sometimes I lose sight of my bride. We trade the wedding dress for sweatpants. We trade the suit for my clothes left all over the house, which she picks up and tells me to uh, pick up all of the time. We trade these things. But so, so quickly, the extraordinary can become so ordinary. We can lose the awe and splendor 
of what Jesus has done in our life. See, when we first enter church, when we first encounter Jesus, there's this magnificent thing that's happening in our life, and we can't help but share it. We can't help but tell everyone what Jesus is doing. But as we go in life, as we go through church, and people let us down, and people offend us, and we have to serve for the umpteenth time, and we have to get up early in the morning to pour a coffee for someone who doesn't really care at all, we can lose the splendor and the awe of what Jesus is doing in this place. And I think he wants to remind us of why the local church was his plan A. See, the local church was always Jesus' plan from the beginning. And I want to tell you, his bride is his plan. See, the truth is that we are Jesus' bride, and his affection, his favor, his gaze is always upon us. He desires us. He's coming back for us, and he's going to present us spotless and blameless to the Father one day. But too often we can come to church just wanting to consume, just wanting to go through the motions. And I know that this is my own heart, that when I come to church sometimes, my heart just isn't in it. Too often I come to church with a consumerist mindset of what can I get? What can I receive? What can I get from the worship this morning? Or what can I get from the community? And I want to say that that isn't what the bride of Christ was meant to be. We are supposed to serve the bride of Christ so that the splendor of the bride is shown to a watching world. When we come to church, we should pour out for what God has done in our lives into others so that when broken people come through these doors, we tell them how good the bride of Christ is, how good the bridegroom is, how that he has changed and transformed my life. And my wife and I are testimonies of God's grace. That wedding was a testimony of his grace. We shouldn't be alive today, but because we serve a king of kings named Jesus, and he's kind and he's good, and he gives good gifts to his children, we share in that inheritance that was never meant for us. And this, uh, a man named Ronald Rollheiser, he has this statement about consumerism, and he says this, our lives become consumed with the idea that unless we somehow experience everything, travel everywhere, see everything, and are part of a large number of people's experience, then our lives are small and meaningless. I want to tell you that being part of the bride of Christ is not small and meaningless. It is a large and glorious call of the gospel. You are part of the bride of Christ. He has chosen you. If you are sitting here this evening, he has chosen you for a time and place such as this, and he has purposed you for a time and place such as this, and his call is upon your life, and his grace will flow through your life, and I want you to know that. And there's this beautiful mystery that we are a part of the bride, and we are also called to serve the bride of Christ. So we're going to turn to Ephesians 5 in our Bibles, and you can turn. It is in the New Testament. I'm going to give you a second to turn there. Ephesians 5, 25 to 32. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there? If you have your phones, you can go on the uh, version app, but it will be on the screen behind me. It says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Say radiant church. That is who we are, life changes, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you will awaken hearts to your gospel this evening, that you will show us how deeply you care for us, how deeply you love us, that when you look at us, you look at us as a bridegroom looks at his bride on a wedding day. Lord, that you love us so deeply, that you don't see our stains, you don't see our blemishes, you don't see all the faults and failures, but you see your perfect bride of Christ. May we live up to that core of the gospel. May we live up as people and serve your bride. And I pray that you will move us in faith this evening, Lord, that you will move us to more of you and less of us. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, there is power in the bride. And you better say it like you mean it. Come on, come on. But we don't think of a bride as a powerful picture. When we think of something powerful, we maybe think of an athlete, we maybe think of like a, a mechanical thing, something that has deep power in it, a rocket, but we don't think of a bride who's actually such a fair person, such a person without blemish and stain, but Jesus says that there's power in the bride of Christ. And I want to present that, that God was always pursuing his bride. In the book of Hosea, the, the people of Israel are related to as a bride, and, Jesus, and God is pursuing them, and they are unfaithful to their bridegroom, but he keeps on pursuing them. He keeps on showing them his love. He keeps on pouring out his blessings and his favor upon them. Why? Because the bridegroom will never leave nor forsake his bride. And so I want to present two points this evening. The first one is God gave himself up. See, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, this was always the plan from the beginning. God had always decided that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, but to be an offering for his bride. He had always decided that this would be the plan. See, not did God only choose that Jesus would die for our salvation, he also chose that Jesus would sanctify us, that he would transform us, that we would be blameless and spotless in the eyes of the Father. This was always the plan. But in order to understand this, we need to understand how important weddings were in the Hebrew culture. See, there was a massive process to go through. If you thought that my process was bad about trying to get Crystal to like me, I promise you, this was a task. First, the, the man would have to choose a wife, or the families would choose a partner for the man. And he would go to the household, and he would bring a cup with him and he would bring a bride price. And if the, um, the wife decided that he was desirable, if the lady decided that he was desirable, he would come inside and then he would present the cup 
to the family. And this is called the cup of acceptance. And they would pour a little bit of wine in the cup. And this was a sign that he was accepted into the family. All the family would partake in this. The children, if they were old enough, would partake in this. But this was a sign that he was accepted into the family. Then the two fathers would gather together. And they would pour a little bit more wine into the cup. And they would, uh, this was the cup of betrothal or friendship, and they would signify that there was an eternal friendship between the two families, that nothing could break this bond ever. And then they would share a meal together. As often we do leading up to weddings, we share meals with one another, and they would have this lavish feast on offer, and then they would begin to negotiate and haggle, and how much the son would pay for the bride price, and how much they would contribute to the wedding, and they would haggle and do all of that. But if everything was accepted, they would pour more wine into the cup, and they would drink drink the cup of inheritance. And that would be a symbol that actually these two families were united and that there would be an internal inheritance for both of them because of their father in heaven. And so the bridegroom then would have to leave. He would not be allowed to stay and he would go back to his father's house and he would journey back there and he would prepare the room for the bride and he would get everything ready. He would put rose petals out. He would have Barry White music singing in the background. He would have perfume and champagne and everything ready to lavish his bride. But while he was doing all of that and preparing his father's house, the bride would also have to prepare herself. What she would do is she would light a lamp full of oil. And this isn't like a load shedding candle or anything like that. This lamp would have to be uh, oiled every day. And as long as the lamp was lit, it would signify that she was willing to be married. It would signify that she was going to accept the bridegroom that when he returned. But if he got to the house and the house was dark and the lamp was out, he would know that she no longer desired him that actually the marriage was off, the betrothal was off, and he would leave her in darkness and make his way back to the Father. And this picture is very much a picture of the church. As Jesus uses this picture in Matthew when he's speaking about the kingdom of heaven, that actually as the church, we need to keep our lamps lit because the bridegroom is going to come back for his bride. But we have a part to play in this story, everybody. See, we need to prepare ourselves and we need to actually act as the bride. See, we can't just go by our day and let everything go and expect God to come back one day for his bride, but we don't actually partake in it. We come to church on a Sunday, and we just come to receive, and never are we putting oil in our lamps. And we speak about the church in such a negative manner, actually we are speaking about his bride. We're speaking neg negatively about his bride. We're coming with offense. We're coming with hate in our hearts. We're coming with unforgiveness and bitterness. And every time we do that, we aren't putting oil in the lamp. Jesus is calling us to keep our lamps lit. See, no matter how long you've been in church, no matter whether you're here for the first time or you're here after 30 years, will you keep your lamp lit? Will you keep on serving the bride of Christ? Will you keep on preparing her for the day that Jesus comes back? Will you keep on playing your part? Why do we serve? 
Why do we serve in the local church? Why do I get up in the morning and choose to serve this church? Before I was a staff member here, I chose to serve the local church. Why? Because I realized that there was something way more important than my own life, that I was living for something so much more glorious than my own life, that I was living for the bride of Christ. I was living for Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, and that if I prepared the bride, if I showed how good and how beautiful and how majestic this bride is, that other people people would see it and their lives would be shaped and transformed and then they would join the bride of Christ and one day when Jesus came back he would say my good and faithful servant you have done well you've shown the majestic worth of Jesus through the church see that is what we are called to do as sons and daughters in the kingdom and Jesus gave himself up he gave himself up to serve the bride he gave himself up so that the bride could be majestic one day. See, he had to give himself up. He had to take the cup of God's wrath so that we could have the cup of inheritance. See, Jesus gave himself up, so will we give ourselves up for his bride? Point number two, Jesus gave himself, so will you give yourself? See, we are the bride of Christ. Just as he is coming back to present his bride spotless to his father, we are, prepared, are we prepared to live in such a manner to show the surpassing worth of his bride? See, Jesus is coming back, but are we going to live to show the surpassing worth of his bride? Are we going to give of our time? Are we going to give of our talents? Are we going to give of our treasures to the local church? I want to tell you that the local church is the beautiful picture of Christ's bride. It is the manifest glory of the Christ's bride in our midst. And when we come here and when we partake in the local church, we are showing to the world that there is something so much greater than economics. There is so, something so much greater greater than our circumstances, than the pressures, than the economy. There is something so much greater, and his name is Jesus Christ, the bridegroom. See, firstly, when we give of ourselves, we take the cup of acceptance, and we accept Jesus into our lives, and we know that we are the bride, and that we cannot do this without the bridegroom. Then we take the cup of betrothal and friendship and we know that Jesus is our friend, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he has made a covenant with us. Even when we give 0%, he will give 100% and he will expect nothing in return. Third, we drink the cup of inheritance and we know that on the cross that Jesus poured himself out. He made himself empty. Why? So that we could have an internal inheritance with the Father. And then fourthly, we take the cup of thanks giving. We thank Jesus for what he has done in our lives. We thank Jesus for what he is doing in our midst. We thank Jesus that he is transforming us, that he will present us blameless and spotless before the Father one day. Do you realize what a miracle that is, Life Changes Church? That we will be presented blameless and spotless. Nothing that we have done to achieve it, but we freely receive it through Jesus Christ. That we have an internal inheritance. That it is so much bigger, so much greater than our ordinary lives here on earth. And so quickly we can lose the splendor and the awe of the local church. We can begin grumbling about it. We can just leave it. We can become dim and dull in the sight of the bridegroom, but he is wanting to present us in majesty and splendor. We have a part to play in this. 
And too often I see too many Christians who are disillusioned with the local church. They've been hurt. They've been let down. And they don't want to go again. They don't want to give up their time again. Why? Because someone will let them down. They don't want to give up their energy or their talents again. Why? Because they have been let down. And I want to say if you're disillusioned, fix your eyes on the bridegroom once again. Why do we do what we do? It's all because of Jesus. I've been reminded about this recently that I can so easily come to church and just go through the motions, but it is all for the bridegroom. It is all because Jesus is coming back one day. We can be disillusioned. We can be disappointed. We can be hurt. We can be carry bitterness in our hearts, unforgiveness, and we can go around carrying these burdens. But the gospel says, cast your burdens onto Jesus. When you are weary and burdened, cast your burdens onto him, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Don't be disappointed. Don't be disillusioned. And then some of us are disenfranchised. We don't. We've been in the church for so long. We've been going through the motions for so long. We've served so many years ago. We think that we've done what we need to do. But God is calling us to serve his bride once again. Will we keep on serving his bride? See, I realize how easy it is to lose sight of my bride just after three years. But as we go on in life, as there are pressures, as there are pleasures, as there are temptations and vices all around us, as the economy is getting tougher and tougher, as we have other family pressures, will we keep sight of his bride? Will we keep on serving his bride? Will we keep pouring out for his bride? Will we keep on paying the price for his bride? Why? Because Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. He is reminding us about the power of the local church, everybody. We aren't just here to consume on a Sunday. We are here to go out from these four walls in our business places, in our families, in our schools, in our universities, and we are there to show the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ wherever we go, so that if we had not lived, the world will be worse off for it, that we would not be there to show how good the bridegroom is. See, our local church is the clearest and fullest and most intimate look into the bride he passionately and relentlessly loves. He sees more of her brokenness than you do. He sees her in all her remaining ugliness, and yet he loves her. He will never leave her nor forsake her. If Jesus gave himself up for the church, why won't we? He is calling us to more. He is calling sons and daughters to move out of apathy and rise again in faith, to take ground for his kingdom once again. I know there are people in this room where the things of Jesus Christ maybe has become a little bit dull and a little bit dormant, but he's lighting the lamp again and he's saying, will you just keep a little bit of oil in it and watch what I do in your life. Watch how your life reflects my beauty. Watch how your life reflects my power. Watch how your life reflects my authority. Will you keep the lamp lit? Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to take your next step or find out what is happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. Cheers.